guys, and welcome to Literary Work in Progress, where we are fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Kristen, and I like all types of pie. I'm Caitlin, and my favorite pie has to be apple. I'm Cameron, and I'm a huge fan of chocolate cream pie. I'm Dan, and I love cheesecake. That's not pie. <laughs> <laughs> you were really close, but... <laughs> Today we have a special guest with us, Emily King. Emily, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I like cherry pie. Okay, let's start with that. <laughs> I'm the author of The Hundredth Queen, which came out in June. It's about a orphan girl who's claimed by a tyrant Raja to become his hundredth queen, but she has to battle for the throne against his countless courtesans. Sounds that sounds awesome. It is intense. Lots of action. <laughs> this week, the first section of our podcast is going to be about what it means to show and not to tell. As always, this isn't a comprehensive discussion on showing versus telling. It's just the thoughts that we come up with. And of course, every rule could be broken, as long as you do it well. And I think every book, you need moments of telling. If you showed blow by blow every minute, then it would be really boring. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. That's true. Okay, so let's start with what what showing is. is. (laughs) Showing and not telling is when, instead of giving a set of facts, you use your characters or the dialogue in order to convey information. You can also use reactions and body language. Instead of listing things off or just giving concrete information, you use other things in your story to show people's feelings or to show backstory. People have always loved being shown things. The earliest examples I can think of these are fairy tales or fables where the parent might have the lesson of don't go up to random houses in the woods and talk to strangers and they spin that story into Hansel and Gretel and you are shown morals instead of told morals and maybe this is diluted very very heavily from that but I think we often appreciate it better when we don't feel like we're being led by the hand and told what we should think about things but can come to our own conclusions. The example that I came up with as we were talking about this is about pie, which is why we were talking about pie earlier. <laughs> also, pie is just a good thing to talk about. It's true. It is. We should always bring <laughs> pie up. Say someone bakes your character a pie. Does your character stare at it, eyeing its voluptuous contours, and then take one very slow bite <laughs> while eyeing the baker? Do they whisk every piece of pie out of the other person's reach just as they're about to take one? That's me. <laughs> Kristen's the main one. Does the pie bring tears to their eyes and childhood memories of their mom come to the surface? You can use anything in order to convey information. It can be something as stupid as pie. So a lot of what you just talked about, we really get examples of showing details. And the contrast being, Joe missed his mom. He took a bite of pie. To a certain extent, that could be showing in a way, because if you... I guess it's showing that pie is related to your mom. I, I don't know. <laughs> the point is not the pie. Yeah, if the you're dwelling on pie, pie for pie's so sake, <laughs> though I do love pie, unless it has a very, very big part of your story, it's probably not something you want to talk about. It really depends on what it is that you want to get across in the scene as well. So if it is about the pie, or if you're trying to tell a story through the pie that you're hoping the reader will pick up on, then go ahead and describe the pie as much as you can. But if you're showing how the character likes to eat, or how picky they are, or whatever, you can show character attributes through, maybe they pick through all the cherries in the pie and they separate it, and then how they eat things could be a way of building your character. So it depends on what you're trying to get across in each of the scenes and how important because like you said you can't bog down the story and the pacing with too much showing so sometimes it's easier just to say he ate his pie yeah Mm -hmm. and and that's one of the problems with telling because telling can only accomplish one thing at a time i'm going to tell you about a i'm going to tell you about b where showing can tell you multiple things maybe someday i'll go through a discussion without bringing star wars but the force (laughs) awakens 
Ray gets her food, and she sits down, and she puts the helmet on, and she eats the food while she's sitting there with the helmet on. I know so much about Ray's character just from that one moment without them saying, Ray misses, it feels she's lonely, really lonely. Yeah. and wants adventure. And of course, that's a film, but you can do similar things in writing. <laughs> and I think the important thing, like Emily was saying, with, with showing and writing is that you have to be really precise. You have to know what your intent is. Otherwise, you're going to end up showing something in a lot of detail, and your readers are not going to have any idea they'll, what you're supposed to do from it. They'll flip to the end of the paragraph yeah. and move on. If yeah. you're just dumping a ton of details on them, they're going to know that they're probably not missing anything that's pertinent to the story. And they'll just move on to, oh, flip the page and get to the action and what's actually moving forward. That's how <laughs> I so good. Growing up, my dad used to read us The Lord of the Rings, but he would cut out all of the description because I was like eight. I didn't have that attention span. And by the time I finally got around to like reading it myself, I was like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> Why <laughs> are they singing? The part. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a really good illustration of the difference between purple prose and showing. Showing is intentional and has specific purpose and is usually only as long as it has to be because otherwise you get bogged down and it slows down what you're talking about. And to bring up what Kristen said, weaker writing often isn't communicating what it wants to. There are a lot of stories where you're supposed to side with the main character, but you think, no, that guy's a jerk. Being able to show things properly and not relying on the telling is just very crucial. So maybe we should talk about why telling is not necessarily a good thing, too. Usually it creates some distance because you're trying to figure out the emptiness that has been left without showing who the character is. So you're being told some things, but oftentimes if you don't see them, you don't retain it as a reader. It comes off one-dimensional, so I think that in order, like with the Ray example, and so she's eating, but she's doing it in a way where you want understand who she is in a sense and when you don't show those details you miss the depth and the color of the opportunity of showing what is different about your character what's different about your world what's different about what's happening around them without that it's just going to be really flat i think so so a lot of times the phrase that'll get floated when you're talking about showing and telling is that we'll say show don't tell but as as our conversations kind of hitting at it, that's it's more simplified than what the case actually is i think when you're talking about a given scene you want to strike a balance between the amount of detail that you're giving and the pacing there's information that your readers need but at the same time the scene's not moving fast enough everyone gets bored showing is a really good way to get a lot of nuanced detail across in an interesting manner but showing is always slower than telling so you want to show as much as you can but you have to tell enough that the scene doesn't completely grind to a halt. I, for example, I think you guys will remember I had a the beginning of a book that just never ended because <laughs> I was not telling anything. <laughs> just kept <laughs> the consequence being, you know, it kind of dragged on. So you need to weigh the benefits of which method you're going to use. So when do we tell instead of showing? I, I'm going to defend telling because I think that it, it's really essential. One of my favorite books is The Name of the Wind, that whole series of Patrick Rothfuss. And that is a very, very showy series in general. Quote, the main character shows the heck out of everything. He's a storyteller. You get like annoyed with it almost, <laughs> but he just goes on and you want to keep listening to him. But because he's so famous, there are parts in the book where he's like, all of you already know this story, so I'm just going to skip it. And <laughs> it like drives me crazy because I want to read that story, but also it's really essential because it says something about who Quoth is as a character. So I think you can use 
telling to kind of explain, well, you can use telling to show is really what's happening here <laughs> because it's showing something about the narrator or the person speaking because they don't feel the need to go into depth about a particular thing. Caitlin, you were talking about Harry Potter, weren't you? Yeah. Harry Potter is one of those books where you know exactly what to expect. It all happens within like a year of school. In order to accomplish that, J.K. Rowling has a lot of, and then three weeks passed and she shows passage of time and then gets to all of like the intense points, but she shows that passage of time by telling. I also think that, well, it, I guess it's everything we were just saying earlier about how pacing can get bogged down by too much show and not enough tell. Another author I think does a really good job with this is Maggie Stiefvater um, in The Raven Boys, where she'll tell small but important details, but spend a lot of time showing things that she wants you to think a little bit more deeply about. So like two characters will be arguing with each other, and you're not really sure why, but you kind of have to use the context clues of the showing to figure out what is happening. And it lets you know what you need to focus on because you have to focus more on what's being shown than what's being told. I think when it comes to series, quite often when you are picking up a story after passage of time, recapping has to be done mm -hmm. and you have to remind your reader of things. And you can show a lot of those details, but it, sometimes it's hard to do that in different wording. Like describing characters in the different way for the 50th time can be hard to do. And also recapping what has led them to this point where you're picking up the story. And without doing a flashback because you already have that book, but you still need to remind your reader where you are. And so series, it is picking and choosing those moments when it's appropriate to just say, this is where we were and do it as concisely as you can, and then move on to what is now happening and what the problem is in the new portion of the story. But telling is necessary then. And I will add that there are some things where it might be nice to have some point where it's just laid straight out for the reader. So mm -hmm. yes. um, if you are a high fantasy author and you have some super complex magic system, Maybe you can get away with postponing the explanation through 50% of the book, but eventually we want some answers. All in the I, same place. Yeah. And <laughs> Very, like, easy flipping yeah, purposes. So can figure and, it out. You know, if you've done a good job, maybe people can enjoy info dumps. Some of my favorite parts of Harry Potter were when Mad-Eye Moody's explaining curses or when Dumbledore's explaining Voldemort, but you have to earn that. So where are places that people slip into telling instead of showing? The big thing I notice in a lot of like the queries or like early manuscripts that I go through is that people will double state. They'll show something and tell it like immediately after. So like someone will be in the narration will be like, she was very scared for her life. And then the character, the next sentence will say, I'm terrified for my life. And <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I think too often we feel as writers, we're not sure if we've shown well enough that we feel like we need to add a tell onto onto the end of it in case our readers can't get it. Generally, that happens when I draft. Mm -hmm. And as I learn to hone in on my story and I go through different versions of it, revisions of it, I find then what belongs and what doesn't and where it belongs. So you end up moving things around. And sometimes, I'll, I'd say most of the time, that telling just kind of falls out because you realize, oh, I've shown that, I've done that here and here and here, and I don't actually need to tell them because I've hammered them over the head with it, you know, in these examples. But if you have to tell it initially in your early drafts as well as showing, do it. Just trust yourself to go back later and take it out. I think that that's a really good we should talk about like revision and why you actually have to do it. <laughs> it's hard when you're first starting out as a writer to put so much work into a first draft and then to have to go back. But sometimes that's the funnest part. It's yes. like actually polishing the story so it looks good. Yay, I wrote a book. 
Good. Now go write it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll really write it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I did want to mention flashbacks. Sometimes people cheat and use flashbacks as a way to give information rather than slipping it in. Sometimes, I mean, that's not a hard and fast rule. There are some books that do flashbacks really, really well, like The Six of Crows and um, The Way of Kings. They both use flashbacks as part of the story. So it's not a story that where the time is all lined up. And so all of the other pieces of the story make sense. It's not a flashback in the sense that you have a character who's like, last week I ate my dinner and it gave me food poisoning. And, and that, therefore this thing happens. And there's that sound from Arthur, that as they go okay. through flashback. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys. So I think it's time that we move on to the critique section, which is where we spend about 10 to 12 minutes going over submission for the week. Um, just a quick review of how we do this. We spend the first two minutes or so talking about good things that we found in the submission and um, explaining why we liked them. And then we'll spend about the next eight minutes talking about things that need a second look, things we didn't really understand or that maybe didn't work out the way the writer was intending them to. At least according to us. According to us, (laughs) who are not the writers, so we might not know. Things Um, that didn't didn't make sense. Yeah. It didn't quite land. It's not telling them what to do. Yeah, and we will not be prescriptive. We'll try not to. We need to get like a prescriptive alarm to like... (laughs) sound every time we say something. So a, a quick oh, premise yeah. of this is we have the character Gracie who is has been caught stowing away on a train. She gets approached by a man who says that he's the leader of a circus and he offers her a position in the circus. It is um, a circus train. It's not it just a, a random guy who's <laughs> on the train. I was getting to that. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so one thing I really loved about the submission is the voice of the narrator. I thought Gracie was phenomenal, actually. Just the way she responds to things tells us a lot about who she is, how she has this kind of like go get them attitude, even though she's a little bit uh, naive about what is going on in her life right now. There's a point, I think, where she describes her boots as pinchy heeled boots, which I thought was awesome. Basically, all of her interactions with the circus master, I was like, man, this girl's got guts. So I really liked that. I really liked how she showed the time period rather than telling us. She had lots of really good hints, like her luggage is described in a certain way. She talks about gas lamps and the pinchy heeled boots. And there are just lots of really great pointers toward where we are and what it looks like without her just coming out and saying it. Did I mention it's the latter half of the 1800s? You know, I'm sure there are books that do something like that. (laughs) (laughs) And she also puts it in in a way that's very natural. It's part of the story. It does more than just tell us about the setting. It tells us something about Gracie, too. Every single detail is there for more than one reason. I think what you're talking about is world building, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She does very natural world building. You feel like you're there without being hit over the head with it too hard. This doesn't necessarily have anything to do with showing and telling, but... We often think the first chapter might be the only chapter you get read if you're sending it out for Aquarian. So you need to make sure that first chapter is good. But with the result that sometimes second chapters, you finish chapter one and you don't think chapter two will be as fun. Whereas I finished this submission thinking, okay, that'll be fun as she's meeting all these circus people and figuring out what's happening. So I think that was good that I ended chapter one excited for chapter two. I loved the punchy ending. I mean, we have... The circus master who's like, well, our knife thrower needs an assistant. And then she goes and meets, like, the cook, and he's like, oh, yes, she's dead. <laughs> Welcome to the circus. The previous assistant. The previous assistant was dead, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there's a circus train. Both of these are twists, but they're different twists. Yes, they are very different twists. <laughs> Everybody's dead. So should we move on to things that might need a second look? 
Mm-hmm. I think one thing that we all noticed as we were reading is that the Christians can argue with us. I am going to it's argue. It's okay. I actually side with you kind of on some of it, but okay. there was a lot of flashbacking happening. So we have Gracie wake up on a train. She's about to meet the circus master. And then she gives us her entire backstory. She used to be an orphan and then she missed her train or her train ticket got stolen. And so she had to sit in the train station and try to go back. And this was all told in flashback. And so we kind of got bogged down in the backstory when we have this exciting thing happening. And I kept wanting to go back to the exciting thing rather than figuring out why Gracie was there or like how she got to be there. I feel like those are things that I would be okay not knowing right at the beginning. I would like to know them eventually, but I didn't need to know them immediately right at that second. And I feel like it slowed down the story. I just highlighted it and it is a page and a half about of flashback out of seven pages. Which Which, for your first chapter. That's a lot for first chapter. But I will say that I appreciated the way that the telling was done because it was done in a succinct showing sort of way to me. And I as a reader was grateful I didn't have to read about her getting pickpocketed or like that whole series of events because to me it's a much more interesting start as it is now with her finding out she's on a circus train. Surprise. So I agree, but I also disagree with I you think guys. that the recap is done really well, but I think it's important to note that a lot of that information could have been put into perhaps maybe dialogue yeah, when so she's talking with the, and this is not prescriptive, you can do what you want, but, this is really <laughs> when, like, but when you're talking <laughs> to the guy, <laughs> that's right, yeah, you're talking to the, what is his name, the circus master, right? <laughs> Some of it could be, I mean, I would even love to see her lie to him and then actually tell the reader, well, this is actually the truth and then continue to answer him and tell him you know and you could probably yeah. shove that all into like maybe half a page of dialogue but it would show who she is so much That's more than just hey i went through all of this and it was awful i would love to see her react to someone tell like how does she explain how it happened does she minimize it is she a sob story is she, please keep me on this train i went through this and this and this does she lie to him you, how she would handle that confrontation would say so much about her character that I think you would also not only understand her, but you'd be more likely to empathize with her. problem with the backstory, often when it's linked in like that, is that you have no real emotional connection. So you want to root for this character and you want to see her do really well at the circus, but you don't really feel as close to her as you would be is if you had seen her go through some of it or seen the, the emotional reaction. Even a physical reaction, like, does she tense up? Does she bite her tongue? Is she, how is she responding to communicating her story to somebody? And you would feel that connection yeah. if you saw it. Yeah, we don't get all of those tells if she's telling us the story. We get none of that. Well, and, and doing it that way would split it up. I think in general, if you have a lot of telling to do and you make it little chunks of telling spread out, I think in general that is easier on a reader. Unrelated to this story, this author doesn't have to do it. (laughs) But you are right that the way that the author did it all at once, it was chronologically a little confusing. That was my really main issue with it. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have noticed it. It's just I started to get lost with the this happened and this and this and this. Oh, and then now, like, where are we? And that really was the only thing that interfered with my reading that kind of slowed me down. Because you want to just flip through it. And by the end of the chapter... You, you hear about, like, the dead knife runner. You were so in, you're like, flip that page, flip yeah. that page, what happens next? The opening page is the establishing moment for your character, and it's a great moment to show instead of tell. If I said, Sam Gamgee is the most heroic 
faithful friend you will ever see. It's like whoop de doo. Sounds like it's reading from like a Clifford. But yeah, <laughs> I not to not to bash on the Inheritance series, but there's a part in the book Eldest where it says, "And then Oramus said something very wise," and I thought, "Debatable." <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the establishing character moment of, I've just been caught in the train, how do I respond, could tell us a lot about Gracie. But we get hit with the flashback. Yeah, I side with, I think, on the side of, if you were going to do this much flashback in the opening seven pages, you did a good job. It's just that we think more effective ways to have done it mm-hmm. without. Because it's, it's not just that it's a flashback, it's that it's, it's mostly a passive flashback. It's her stating events that happened rather than reliving them. In a lot of those books, like Way of Kings we were describing, they have lots of flashbacks, but those flashbacks are told, experiencing them as they happen, which makes them a lot more immediate and emotionally packed. This might be a Dan-only problem, (laughs) but uh, when I heard that the circus master's name was Vicini, I'm fully expecting him at some point to say, do you want me to take you back to where you were? Unemployed? In Albany? (laughs) So, Dan-only problem, but it's there. (laughs) You know, when I, I love The Princess Bride, but when I was reading this, it didn't even occur to me that was the same thing until you guys brought it up. So. Well, that Vicini has two Zs, I think, so That's really slightly funny. different. On the whole, I thought it was a really, really clean submission. I didn't think there were a lot of problems. I just had a couple of world questions that Caitlin also thought of. They were wondering how it was that she didn't notice it was a circus train. We don't know anything about Victorian circus trains, but I feel like on the outside they'd probably say something like, the scenic magical circus or something. Like, <laughs> that there would be elephants. dark. I don't know. <laughs> giraffes she just, sticking she just out jumped the top on of the, the right The Disney box. interpretation There's of always circus. giraffes sticking out <laughs> yeah. the top. I was also a little shocked by how much Gracie knew about, uh, how did she describe it? Lifting her skirts for money, essentially, because I feel like in most Victorian places, they, they tried to make it so girls didn't know that. I got caught in some of, there were a few points that I felt were over-described a little bit. Like the opening line that we have, I'll actually read it. It's Gracie sat up with a low and throaty groan, a sound very opposite to the boiling tea kettle scream of the train's brakes as it slowed. There are so many descriptive words in that sentence that by the time I got past low and throaty groan, I was like, what? And then it's a boiling tea. They're just lots and lots of details. And that was one that I noticed. And also later where we have like a clothing piece by piece described on Vicini, which is very interesting. But at the moment, I was more interested in what Vicini was actually going to talk about rather than his three-piece suit and what it was made of. Boiling tea kettle hiss of the train's brakes is a Really nice description. Yeah, that's lovely. And I wasn't terribly bothered by the description of the scene. I don't know why. This <laughs> Usually I agree with wholeheartedly on every point. You're going to fight me on this? Yeah, no, I'm ready to like, no. I'm trying to remember, is that the first indication she has that she might be on the wrong train? I think so. So is that why maybe it was really described because it was such a shock to her? Oh, that could yeah. be. That could be part of it. So that's a kind of strange outfit to be wearing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not what she's expecting. I'm assuming it's kind of weird. It's only one sentence describing clothes, so I didn't. I wasn't bothered by it. It See, this is why it's good to have a writing group because one person can tell you something bothers you, and then everyone else can overrule them if it doesn't bother them. It works out. It it does. (laughs) That's really. There's another note about maybe the second look uh, that Vicini maybe makes up his mind too much about. Crazy too fast, right? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. But I also feel like she makes up her mind maybe a little yes. too fast too. I'd like to see a little bit more debate, mm. maybe back and forth, feeling each other out. Maybe I mean, if he makes up his mind really fast, my take was 
that he just thinks she's going to be dead really quickly, uh-huh. <laughs> like the other assistant. Yeah. And if that's the case, I'm fine with that. But shouldn't that worry her? Yeah. Maybe yeah. shouldn't she wonder, you just invited me a little too quickly. Maybe you're just writing me off and you think I'm going to die. Um, or there's something suspicious about it. And I know she's needy. That that came across really, really great. But she should have him and hot maybe a little longer. Or at least considered it. But Cameron, something. something. You sound skeptical. Well... So, so one of the things that I actually liked about this submission, which it could be that I'm just seeing things because I tend to do that, but I liked the interplay of Gracie's, um, how, how naive she is compared to what I saw as deviousness from Vicini. When I realized that he had waited to extend the offer, really the blackmail of join my circus or I'm going to, you know, send you to the cops, he waited to do that until they were already farther from her home. So it would be harder for her to run away. I don't know if the writer did that intentionally, but noticing that, well, this, this, this could get interesting because it looks like into ways that a villain can be villainous that aren't necessarily obvious. So, but in order for that to work, you have, you have how, how naive Gracie is. So in, in that way, it would have surprised me if she had been any slower to accept the offer because she's the kind of person who's going to look for her long lost aunt who she knows doesn't want anything to do with her. But she's she's the kind of person who's going to trust that that's somehow going to work out anyway. Up to that point in the story, she hasn't demonstrated that she's a very careful person. I mean, she's already been pickpocketed. She's already walked away from a steady job. It's not... <laughs> as far as as far as far being careful, her, her, her grades are not very high. So... Actually, that was one of the other details. I... It took me until she talks about it later to realize that the reason she didn't get to her other job was because she had missed the train to get there. And that she wasn't trying to go to Chicago. The first time I read it, I thought that she had just given up some... Even though she had just explained why she was going to take that job, that she had decided to go to Chicago anyway. And then she explains later, oh, it's because I got pickpocketed and I'm supposed to take a train to my new job. So maybe I'm dense, but I missed that. If I was Gracie, I would just give up on trains at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Try Just walk. <laughs> okay, so do we have anything else? I think that's it. Thanks for coming in, Emily. Thank you so much, Emily. It was so great to have you. This has been Literary Work in Progress. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Hi, Caitlin here. If you're interested in looking at the submission that was featured in today's podcast, you can find it on our website, literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. That's literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. If you're interested in submitting your work for us to look at, you can find our submission guidelines on that same website. And we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and leave us a rating and comment while you're there because it helps other people to discover our podcast. Thanks and see you next week.